Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the XX Mormon Podcast. I am uh, Elder Jackson, as always. Funny how that never changes. And of course, presiding is Bishop Jensen. Bishop Jensen, how are, how are you doing? Wonderful. Oh, that it is a beautiful May morning. The sun is shining through the trees. W- would you say it's the a beautiful Lord day is in the probably kingdom? Likely to descend. It's a, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> how in the lovely kingdom. was the morning? Um, how how lovely was it? Oh, I guess Bishop Jensen might not get the. It's a beautiful day, or it's a great day in the kingdom. That's what uh, my old stake president used to say. Anybody, uh, anybody that is from the same stake knows exactly who I'm talking about. And I think he's in the temple presidency now or something. I don't know. Anyways, um, today we have a very special guest. We have we are joined today by brother the brother of Jared. Um, brother the brother of Jared, would you like to introduce yourself briefly to the congregation here? Oh, yeah. I'm glad to be able to take a little uh, time out of my day to, you know, preach again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's see. I'm from uh, from Dallas, Texas. You know, uh, I've been I grew up in Dallas, you know, for about, you know, 20, 24 years and you know kind of made the move up to uh oklahoma not that long ago so you know i've been pretty much stuck in the midwest my whole life you know i've made little trips out to you know utah and maybe Mm -hmm. some parts of other countries but you know kind of been stuck here (laughs) for the most part yeah well and so i'm i'm looking forward to to hearing more about your story because i think you're the first guest we've had who was raised in texas we have another guest who lives in texas at least one other guest who lives in texas um but you're the first one who was raised in texas so i'm gonna be curious to hear what your experience was like there were you born and raised in the church oh yes um we're like first generation to be raised in the church Hmm. my uh my mom and dad are both converts from mexico actually really um crazy story they they found the church when they were kids. Yeah. You know, got baptized and both moved to Texas and just found each other in the same state, same branch. And I mean, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> Interesting. So did their like so did your grandparents also join the church or was it just your parents as children? So from my dad's side, uh only my mom joined. You know, his dad passed away when he was really small. And from my mother's side, um, her mom joined, but her dad, you know, her husband, you know, her, her grandfather, uh, or her dad, sorry, was very, very much against it. You know, he mm. was one of those, I'm born Catholic, I'm going to die Catholic, right. but you won't ever see me at church. So that's <laughs> a little weird. It, that's, re- that's really interesting. Um, yeah. So, okay. So then your parents, how, how strict were they? Because I know like a lot of people have different experiences growing up in the church um as like how how strict their their parents are and kind of how strict their ward is too i think plays a lot into it like a lot of the weird and wacky things that i remember learning growing up i realized wasn't my parents telling me that stuff it was my young men's leaders and so how how strict was your church environment Uh, That's a great question. Um, So our branch was kind of split in two. So we had like, you know, our Spanish branch. Then you had the English ward 
or branch, sorry. And it was the weirdest thing. Our ward or branch, sorry, I always get them mixed up, tried really hard to mimic the other branch in, in, in the way they were taught, what how they would discipline. It was like they were trying so hard to be like something they weren't. And that and it really conflicts with, you know, like, you know, my whole family were, you know, we're like, you know, we're Mexican, so we have Latino culture growing up. So it was very conflicting ideologies a lot of times. Um, and so my parents did try to be almost as strict as they were. At one point, they were like, no sodas, mm-hmm. no chocolate, no caffeine. Um, I mean, they, they tried, we tried really hard to be that ideal, you know, Mormon family. Yeah. And it, it just, it doesn't work. You know, we just, our culture is, you know, not throwing shade to any cultures or anything, but you know, it's, it's a very different type of lifestyle. You know, we're more of relaxed, um, kind of having fun parties. And then we're just told out of nowhere, no, you, you can't do that. You need to be just like them. So I was kind of like, I guess this is the way to go. This is what, this is how I got to live my life now. It's, it was kind of a weird transition. It was kind of when I was like six when like things really started to kind of like change, I guess. Interesting. When they kind of, when you feel like they like got serious about it, when they like really buckled down. Oh yeah. Um, Funny enough, my, we have, I have two other siblings. I have an older brother and a younger sister and my family. And I I think, I guess it was maybe a little bit before, maybe when I was born, my dad, (laughs) it was the first time it ever been done in our ward, but or branch, sorry, I always get them mixed up. He was like, I want to give my kids names from the Book of Mormon. Right. And my mom was like, Why? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> and at first, my dad wanted to call my brother and I uh, Layman and Lemuel. And <laughs> so glad he didn't because you're just setting us up for failure at oh, that yeah, point. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so is that. Like, was part of it driven from your, uh, you mentioned both your parents are Mexican? Yes. Like, is part of, did your parents have this idea, or your dad at least have this idea that he was a Lamanite being brought back into the true church? And, you know, his kids are Lamanites, so I need to give them Book of Mormon names in honor of their their heritage? Or was it just, uh, ah, Book of Mormon names are great. I want to give my kids Book of Mormon names. You know, it, at first... It just stemmed from that. Just give them Book of Mormon names. It wasn't right. until like maybe I was 20 where he kind of explained. Yeah, no, uh, that's kind of, I don't know. It's like there's a weird push a few years back where being a Lamanite was like a good thing. You know, yeah. it's like you want to be a Lamanite. You got to be mm-hmm. like them. And so that's when he was kind of giving us like, yeah, you know, kind of backtracking a bit of why. But I was like, yeah, for the most part, he was like, I just want to give them a Book of Mormon name to really right. show that we're committed. We're like devoted. Okay. So did like did you guys when you guys would read Book of Mormon stories, you know, or whatever, having family home evening lessons about the Book of Mormon, would you guys talk about yourselves as like Lamanites, and and talk about the Book of Mormon as being your history? Not for the longest time, no. I, I right. think there was a there was definitely a push when I was a youth where mm-hmm. it was kind of more pushed on us. I think it was at that point, like whoever was Bishop was kind of like, yeah, I'm tired of mimicking this other war. We're going to kind of do our own thing because now mm-hmm. we're a ward at this time. Right. And that's when it was kind of pushed the ideology that, you know, we're Lamanites, we're descendants, you know, you know, what, what joy this is that we, you know, are like them. Um, so it was a little, 
it was a little strange because I'm not going to lie. I didn't even read the Book of Mormon till like a week into my mission because I was like, right. oh, crap, I kind of have to finish this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I honestly didn't even know that we were Lamanites till a friend in school told me, yeah, I heard that you guys like split up from another uh, from another tribe or something. And then now you guys are like Lamanites. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> I was I was in the church, but I mean, there were times where I was just like the knowledge would go into my ear and one ear out the other. I was like, some of this doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah. So you just kind of like it. It sounds to me like you just kind of went along with it because that's what your family did, but you weren't really <clears throat> um, internalizing it, like making it your own. Was there was there a point maybe on your mission when you did start to, I don't know, feel more strongly about it? Oh yes, it was. It was probably after my first transfer. Mm. Um, it was kind of. Uh, I mean. In my experience, it was kind of forced on you. Either mm -hmm. you had this ideology or, you know, it was kind of like invasion of the body snatchers. Mm -hmm. If you didn't follow this set, you know, protocol, you were outed. And mm -hmm. so I was kind of forced to come up with my own, you know, like I had to accept it. There was no other reality. This is what you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was kind of like I didn't really like having like this, you know, predetermined identity already like this is what you are you know accept it and you couldn't really argue it because no one would hear or listen to you and then on a mission even less you know you're kind of you know indoctrinated this is what you're gonna do and deal with it so that's kind of where i was at in in, in my life i guess right right so so when you talk about like having the preset identity are you talking about prior to going on your mission or is that just you know, part of being a missionary. Uh, I'd say it's a little bit of both, honestly, right. definitely prior. And then as well as, you know, on my mission. So did you have like a, like a rebellious streak? Did you like grow your hair long, listen to rock music, smoke marijuana, drink beer? Like, did you kick against the pricks or? Definitely. So there was a time before I left on my mission. Yes. Like yeah. just before I got my endowments. And then right. when I came back from my mission, I had like, after two years, I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> I got I All my friends are doing all this stuff. And, okay. you know, you know, my my friends are all like, dude, a little bit of it's not going to hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was definitely after I came back where I was kind of like, I, I didn't feel like I had like eyes on me 24 seven. So I kind of felt more, more of a freedom to, you know, try new things, I guess. So on your mission, you kind of like adapt to survive. It sounds like. And then as soon as you come home, you're like, nobody's watching me. I'm going to go do whatever the heck I want. Exactly. That is a hundred percent. Wow. And I want, I want to hear where your, um, I guess where your testimony was at during this time, because there's this idea, uh, that, uh, Stephen, Stephen Harper, whatever his middle initial is, not the former prime minister of Canada, but the, the professor at BYU, um, he he said something at a at a fireside thing once I was at that uh, that I hated that made me so angry. He <laughs> he said people's beliefs either change to match their behavior or their behavior changes to match their belief. And he tried making this point that if you believe in the church but you're not doing the stuff, then you're going to either change your behavior 
to, you know, match what you espouse as a member of the church, or you're going to decide to stop believing in the church so that you can justify <clears throat> your alcohol drinking, marijuana smoking lifestyle. Um, I'm curious when you were doing this, re- you know, quote unquote rebellion after your mission, did you feel, I mean, did you feel like it was a rebellion? How much did you believe in it? Did you just not care? Like, where was your belief in the church during that time? Okay, so during during that time, I, I still believed in the church. And it was kind of around the time where I was kind of like, you know what? I'm going to date outside of the church as mm-hmm. well. I kind of felt like, well, you know, as long as you kind of do the movements of what is repentance, you should technically be fine. Right. So, you know, if I drink a little bit, I can always repent of it later, smoke <laughs> a little bit, repent yeah. of it later. Just do the motions you're taught to do. Look sorry, look bad, you know, just kind of what you're right. taught to do. And then you're good to go because I was, I felt like <laughs> if I, as long as I acted the part at church, no one would really hound me. Cause when you come back from your mission, you're looked up as like, you're, I don't know, I guess held up to a higher regard or a yeah. higher status. Yeah. And, and so if you play the part at church, then you could, you know, I kind of thought to myself, well, you can kind of get away with almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I and I, I I would feel bad sometimes when I did certain things, like when I you know drank with my buddies. I would never get drunk, but you know I'd have like a little bit a little bit of whiskey here, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit of a beer there. And I kind of came to the conclusion where this stuff's really not bad. Obviously, everything in moderation. Right. But you know, I thought to myself, why are we striving so hard to teach kids don't ever smoke a joint? Don't yeah. ever have a sip of alcohol. Like, it, like, it, like that is, it's this or, or like, that's, that's it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know why I'm like almost killing myself to follow these rules when I'm like, I'm still going to church, participating in this stuff. And I feel better than I ever did. So you kind and of I, started gaining like an anti-testimony. Yes, definitely. I, that's, that's how I would word it. It was just kind of like. I don't understand why I'm being pushed so hard mm-hmm. when I've never felt so free in my life. It was, it, it was just groundbreaking for me. Wow. And then what did you, what did you do with this revelation? Did you have a, a true come to Jesus moment, go to the Bishop and sincerely beg for your temple recommend back and, and, and turn that around? Like where, where do we go from here? So there, there was a moment. Yes, I, I remember. I went. I started going. There was kind of a moment where I saw some of my friends, and I was kind of like, you know what? I should, I should probably go back. It's like it kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, I, I did date around, and you know, a lot of these girls were very, you know, good people. But I was kind of like missing something, and I, I think a little bit of my gaslighting came back, and it was like, well, if you really want that really nice family, you're going to have to date a Mormon girl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, man. So I kind of myself made myself go. I was like, well, if I wanted to have this you know, awesome, I kind of felt like I was ready to have a good, serious relationship. And I was taught as a child, the only way to have that is to date someone in the church, get sealed, etc. So I kind of myself pulled myself back into church. And I, I kind of cleaned up a bit, um, and I kind of was like, well, now I got to start taking this seriously. I actually used this app that I don't know if it's a church app. Uh, it's called Mutual, 
where you can meet yeah. Uh, yeah. girls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I used, I, I dated some girls who were very like, you know, great people, but you know, I, I, but then, you know, that's when my old ways started to come back where it was kind of like, they're very nice and great, but I just, I don't feel comfortable around them. Like, like mm. it just, I'm not really, I don't like coming back. Like I felt like I had to at this point. Um, mm. Cause you know, at this point I was like 20, 24. So if you come back for your mission and you're not married, it's kind of looked as what are you doing with your life? Yeah. Um, like, you know, what, like what's wrong with him? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, all my friends were coming back, getting married right off the bat. And I was like, Oh man, I'm kind of slacking here. Um, so, you know, I, I used the app and then eventually, you know, I, I'd matched with my, with my girl, with my wife who, you know, was just, you know, my girlfriend at the time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a little bit of kind of what brought me back into the church, uh, after my little, you know, rebellious period. Love, love brought you back. I know, uh, I had a friend, a non-member friend text me the other day and he's like, I've realized Mormon girls are really pretty and cute and sweet and uh he's like what do you think if i joined the church just to meet a girl i'm like there are pretty cute and sweet girls who aren't part of the mormon church i'm Mm -hmm. like find a girl somewhere else man like i promise you'll be better off for it um not that you know not that they aren't great girls and not that most of them will you know eventually leave the church but but there like there's a lot of like LDS women are socialized to be very, very subservient to their husbands. Right. Oh yeah. So like, I know I'd go out with, um, member girls. And one thing that would be in the back of my head would be like, where's your drive and aspirations in life other than like having children. And then Mm. you go out with non member girls. And then the conditioning on the male side is it's like, what do you mean you want to have a job? Why don't you want to have kids? (laughs) I kind of felt like back and forth about, about like um like dissatisfied with the way Mormon women were socialized and then dissatisfied because of the way I'd been socialized on the flip mm-hmm. side, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think <clears throat> I mean guys uh in in the church were were told to want a homemaker and mm-hmm. yep. uh yep. and and so then the girls in YSA who never get asked out are the ones who have like careers and stuff yeah. and are like yeah. <laughs> really exactly the type of woman anybody should want to be with who's like got drive and interest and hobbies and things she does but uh mormon guys are are told that oh well she's not that's not desirable look, she's not yeah, doing her exactly. highest calling <laughs> yeah um but yeah anyways yeah. um so you meet your wife on mutual Yes. And do you end up getting married in the temple? Do you leave before that? Like, tell us how, how did things start going from here? Yeah. Um, I actually love the point you just brought up, um, beforehand, you know, where, you know, women are kind of, you know, you're expected to have this, like, you gotta be this way. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't almost don't think for yourself, just kind of be a housewife. And that is your calling for the rest of your life. And I, I didn't like that. I was like, I kind of like the opposite, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, some people say I, I could be paraphrasing, but, uh, or I'd be paraphrasing. Sorry. You know, people kind of marry their parents in a way, kind of like their attributes, how they were. And so my mom was a very strong, independent woman. And so I was mm-hmm. always kind of looking for that. Not that any of the women I met were like, you know, not independent, not, you know, not 
downplaying any of them. Yeah. But they they did have um, a lot of what you guys said. You know, they were very just wanting to be the housewife. Like yeah. they that's the role they were born to be almost. And, and which is fine if if somebody wants to be that. I want to be yeah, a house husband. So if you know if anybody out there is looking for that, let me know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think you're... it's just like if I if I go through the elders quorum that I can remember. And go through the Relief Society that I can remember from ISA, like the amount of guys that were going through university or had already finished university and had like real kind of career jobs versus the amount of women in the Relief Society. Number one, like it was hard to find anyone in the Relief Society who was over like 21. You know what I mean? Because they'd all been married off by 21. So you'd be hard pressed to find a a woman who is old enough to have finished university. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, if they were old enough, they were like, they were outcasts. They were, they were pariahs. They were, you know, quote unquote, (laughs) less desirable. And then, so of those women who were old enough to have finished a university degree, it was very few of them who, who had, Mm -hmm. and I'm not like criticizing the women. It's the system that is socializing the women to be this way, to get married young, to be a little housewife, to maybe, you know, do an associate's degree so that you can, have a supplemental income while your husband finishes university. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. But the, like the odds of you finding a woman who is at least in the YSA, you know, wards and six that I was in, it was very low that you're going to find somebody who, who had some career drive. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, in the YSA uh, branch that I was in, um, even on my mission, you know, we would always spend time with the YSA over there, you know, kind of this kind of, you know, what preaching my gospel and our president would say, go with the youth, you know, they just came back from the missions, they want to kind of serve. And I remember there were some, there were a lot of sister missionaries, sorry, ex-sister missionaries who just come back from the mission mm-hmm. and years would pass and they never met anyone because, you know, they had kind of started thinking for themselves. And I remember they were always kind of ostracized. Like they were kind of like, oh no, she's like been in the YSA for like five, six years now. Mm-hmm. And just don't pay attention to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like there's something wrong with her. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. well, I mean, she's kind of seems like she has, you know, she, she sounds like amazing. Like she's always serving. She's always doing her part. She's getting a degree. I'm like, I don't understand why everyone's so like against this. But when, even when I came back, that was one of the biggest things. There were a bunch of, um, uh, women in the YSA who were doing their degrees, they said, well, I kind of want to get my degree first and then settle down. And I always thought, mm-hmm. hey, hats off to you. You commit, you do what's best for you. And I was kind of like, I kind of found that more attractive than someone who was just willing to be like, I don't know, just like done with it. Like, I just want yeah. you to do all that. You work and I'll take care of the rest. And mm-hmm. I was kind of like, I don't really want that. It just never, it, that part would never click with me. And a lot my family you know being you know being from mexico a lot of them are very old-fashioned so for them mm-hmm. that was okay like my grandma she um one time my wife was just folding laundry you know i was out doing something and my grandma came up to me she was like why is she doing that like does she not or sorry no sorry i was i was folding laundry right and she was off like doing something and she was like why are you doing that can't your wife do it and i'm like mm-hmm. oh well you know she's just tired or i don't know what she was doing at the time yeah but I said, it's just laundry. And she was like, oh, no, that you shouldn't, you know, she should be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a woman's role. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that for them was like, oh, no, that's fine. Like they, mm-hmm. that, that part is okay. But everything, some parts may not work for them. But that part for, in my culture, was kind of like accepted. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of this. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, but you get married and you, f- you fold laundry. Um, yes, uh, definitely. Which is, which is great. <laughs> um, but then how, how does your testimony start unraveling? Like what, like what happens? Did you see, did, did like the devil come to you and try and do a fake handshake or, or what? Like how did things start falling apart for you? So, you know, once I met her and she told me a lot about her experience, because for the longest time, I was very like oblivious to what women were going through in the church. Mm -hmm. I honestly didn't know um, the hardship that they face. I just kind of thought they were just there, you know, while we were having these awesome activities, they were just kind of, you know, knitting. So it was kind of like I didn't really know much about what they were going through. Yeah. So she told me about her experience growing up. Uh, in the church, her time at BYU. <clears throat> and I was like, oh my God, like there were, you know, times where um, leaders of the church would, you know, disregard women if they had, you know, some kind of sexual abuse happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were going through physical violence in the domestic, uh, you know, relationship, it was kind of like I didn't even know this was going on. I just kind of knew what men were experiencing, but I had no idea what women were going through. So it was a big eye opener. And I think my wife kind of talked to me about what her brother had told her about the history of our church, because there were definitely aspects that I was very uncomfortable with. Definitely polygamy was one of the big ones. I always gaslighted myself. And, you know, that's what the church does. It's like, oh, no, it was okay. It was done for a little bit. You know, they didn't like it. They didn't want to do a polygamy. It was just something that they had to do. It was a commandment. So, you know, you have to do it. So I was like, oh, okay. So morally speaking, we're good. Um, And she told me about everything that Joseph Smith had done. Even I didn't even know this CES letter existed, but she pretty much covered everything from uh, Joseph Smith having multiple wives marrying a 14-year-old, sending people on their missions so he could be with their wives. I was like, whoa, where, where is this information? And, you know, I, I, because of things I experienced on my mission and at home, I was kind of open to the idea that this is a reality that was happening. Um, it was hard for me to believe at first. Hmm. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's like your whole world is almost crumbling when you find out this information. It's like I was never taught this as a child. Um, if I had known this growing up, I would definitely not have wanted to get baptized, yeah. go on a mission, etc. Um, kind of like that informative consent was very important. Like I needed to know, I wish, I really wish I knew this stuff. Um, and I remember the one instance that kind of did it for me, that was definitely a big shelf moment was when my wife asked me after all this, what would it take for you to leave the church? And I told her nothing. And she told me that scares me. And after that, I was like, maybe I am too deep in this. Yeah. Or maybe I don't even know what I'm too deep in. Was she already out or did you know that she was questioning or <clears throat> was this just like a random conversation starter she brought up? We had had other conversations about the matter, but it never got this deep because she mm. was also going through her own faith crisis at the time. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, what she really needed was someone to listen and, and validate her feelings because, you know, a lot of people in the church just won't do that. If you have a doubt, you know, so they, it's what they always say, put your doubts on the shelf or mm-hmm. whatever the phrase is. And, and her whole family at this point was also leaving. 
a lot of them had already left at this point. And she was trying hard not to, you know, she was given callings, you know, everything that you can think of to keep her from leaving. And it was just a conversation that really just kind of, it got deeper than any of the other ones had ever. And this is the first time I was ever introduced to half the knowledge that I never knew, you know, everything that's covered in the CES letter, I was just never made aware of. So for me, it was just like, wow, I, I don't even know what to say at this point. I was, I probably could have lived my whole life and never learned this. And I don't know where I would be today, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really glad she told me when she did. Cause it was definitely one of the most pivotal moments in my life. as far as I could think. Yeah. Bishop, you look like you have a question. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that like you had some rough experiences on your mission. Yes. That kind of, do you want to elaborate? <clears throat> like you kind of had some items on the shelf before you heard about um, like the CES letter or any of the church history issues. Um, do you mind elaborating on kind of what you were putting on your shelf from your mission? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and this ranges from kind of things that the church would do in Argentina. So sorry. So just to get a little bit of extra, I, I served my mission in, in Argentina in Buenos mm-hmm. Aires. I won't say what mission specifically, you know, in case someone mm-hmm. decides to hear, but it was in Buenos Aires. And it wasn't until I was about maybe, so it's like a few experiences. I'll try to kind of not uh, take up too much of the time, but um, one of them was my first transfer on the mission. Um, you know, I was a newbie. I, I had already known the language. I was with my trainer and there was a moment when my trainer, he was suffering from some kind of like pain in the back of his head. And he, it got to a point where he just couldn't take it. And I remember he was worried it was like a tumor or something. I was kind of like, I don't know what's going on. I only have like two weeks in this country. I don't know what's happening. Um, and he gets a call from the, you know, the president's wife. And, you know, we go to the doctor. She says she's up an appointment for us. And the doctor's like, okay, it's very simple. This is just a lot of, um, it's like you've been so stressed that your muscles have pretty much condensed. And it started to kind of reshape your your spinal your spine above kind of underneath your neck, um, and he said it's it's not a crazy procedure, but all we'd have to do is kind of take you to get some massages, like almost two times a week. You know, it, it, it's at the point where we can fix it. And he was like, "Awesome! I've been experiencing this pain for a year now. I just want to be done with it." And I'm like, "Elder, that's awesome! You know, it's not a tumor. It's awesome." And you know, we're all we're all excited. We go back to the apartment. And he gets a call from the president's wife and she told him, well, elder, I got a call from the doctor and well, I have two options for you. Um, you can go home now, by the way, he was like two transfers from finishing. So you can just go home now and finish your mission early, or you can just suck it up. And wow. He, I, I was like, I, what? And he was like, oh, uh, let me just think about it. And he starts break, you know, he breaks down and starts crying. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, why I'm kind of like, why is my leader refusing to let my companion receive just basic treatment? You know, yeah. I understand you're, you know, not supposed to be, I guess that's what we were taught. You're not allowed to be touched by women pretty much. And I was like, I can't believe that the church is like the leaders are not letting him get basic help yeah. Um, because of an injury that was caused from the mission, all that stress mm-hmm. had 
drove him to have this. And eventually he just said he, he's going to suck it up. And I, you know, he, he finished his mission. He finished my training and I reached out to him about a year and a half ago. And I asked him, how are you doing with the pain? And he told me, well, the doctor said, because I didn't get any treatment when I was supposed to, I'm going to have this chronic pain forever. Wow. So I, I was like, because of a decision from a leader to Mm -hmm. just have them follow through with this. And again, I, I, you know, assuming, and she said she prayed and she said, God told her these are the two or her. And I guess the president said that these are, this is what God said is what you have to do. And I was like, I can't, I just can't imagine God saying that suck it up and deal with this pain for the rest of your life. I just don't, I just, it never sat well with me. Yeah. And I feel, I feel honestly horrible for him because I, I, I know this could have been averted mm-hmm. had, you know, the president's wife just kind of, you know, let him get basic massages. Like it wasn't, yeah. I, I don't know if that actually would have solved it, but I felt like that definitely would have helped. But I just, that just blew my mind that something like that could happen. And that kind of set my mission. That was kind of like how I felt for the rest of my mission. I was like, I would see things that I didn't before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like the way the mission was uh, was treating missionaries, so that was kind of like an eye opener. And then, did you see anything else like that, where like the mission's just not managing properly? Yeah. Um, so one of the the next one involves me a little more. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm glad he's doing better now. But um, so there was a point. So in Argentina, it's not not the safest country <laughs> mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a very it's a very dangerous country sometimes and the areas we were at we were in like the you know the most humble areas that you could imagine you know uh people had houses made out of like you know aluminum and you know just generic you know brocks blo- uh sorry it's like brick cement brick cement no it's, it was just very very humble poor houses and we were in a really bad area and um well there was a point where we were walking and there were two guys kind of on the other side of the street looking at us. And we were like, my companion was like, Elder, just keep like, keep walking fast, just keep moving. And they started like coming after us. And we're like, oh crap. <laughs> so we start, we try to lose them in the, in these buildings. And we kind of, we try to circle around and go the other way. But I guess they knew the area better than we did. And so they caught up to us and they held us up at gunpoint. You know, they pulled out two guns and, and I, again, I had never had a gun to my face mm-hmm. and I was, you know, petrified. I gave them, we gave them everything we had. They were mad because, mm-hmm. you know, we only had a few bucks on us yeah. and a little, you know, a little crappy Nokia phone, some books. And they were like, oh, whatever they took it and they left. And I called, you know, the protocol was to call the mission president. Uh, if he doesn't answer, call him again. So we called him twice. He didn't answer. And he said, Eldritch, what's wrong? And I said, oh, well, we just got robbed. Uh, they held us at gunpoint. And we told him what happened. And he said, are you guys hurt? Did he hurt you guys? And we're like, no, they just took our stuff and they ran. He was like, oh, okay. Well, that's good to hear. Well, carry on. And that was it. And I was like, "Uh, (laughs) are we not going to address what just happened? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And apparently it got to the point in the mission because of of, of this ideology that you're you're just supposed to tough it out. It, it got to the point where missionaries were like, if you don't get robbed on your mission, you didn't really have a mission. It's like a rite of passage at some point. And wow. I, I just, I couldn't wow. believe that. 
I was I I couldn't believe that the church was that okay with us being like hurt. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it was like it's just it's a thing that happens, Elder. And I'm like, I understand that, but it's I I, I remember having a talk with my president. I was like, I understand that you know there's something that happens, but I mean I. I, to this day, I still have like nightmares of being held up at gunpoint. I guess it, right. it wasn't the first time; it happened a couple other times. Wow. And you know, and the church offered nothing in terms of like helping people that have gone through that. Yeah, you know, we had people try to break into our apartment. I mean, it list goes on. Not even like any <clears throat> psychology, like to sit down with a therapist and discuss what happened and to work mm-hmm. through it and. You know you're okay and like none of that nothing just well cool you're not dead all right back to work good luck out there yeah it was <clears throat> it, it still bothers me to this day so with my trainer right when i mentioned the experience that was the only time he had to pretty much beg them to let him see a therapist because i told them well hey elder we were, i was told in the mtc that the church should have some kind of therapist that you can go to Maybe he can help or she or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he had to basically call the president like two or three times and say, hey, I really want to go. And the mission president was like, well, if you keep asking me, I'm going to have to send you home because then I feel like you're not ready. So you're not you cannot Tough keep moving out here. Exactly. Yeah. And eventually I guess he had some revelation. He was like, all right, you can go. Um, it's only once a week. Mm-hmm. Um and so I got to see the – we got to go and see what that was like. And I, I do believe that the therapist actually tried to help him. She mm-hmm. was a member of the church. She was from the States. Uh, she was a very, very nice woman, uh, very, very kind. And she did help him through some things to kind of find what was stressing him out. But it was kind of like you have to beg almost to get any kind of help. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it was – sorry, oh, go ahead. Keep going. No, keep going. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you're good. Um, so it was just kind of like that. My whole mission. It was there was no sympathy for anyone, and I just kind of like this doesn't really reflect. I mean, I understand we're here to serve, mm-hmm. but I just can't believe that we're you know, it's kind of like you're supposed to go through this. At least what we were taught is you're supposed to go through this because this is what Jesus went through. And every mm-hmm. time you get robbed, every time you get assaulted, every time anything happens you're walking right beside him and i'm like i guess but i kind of rather not get robbed yeah yeah (laughs) it's kind of this silly i mean and and it's weird because it's like well didn't he go through all that so that i didn't have to like wasn't that (laughs) the whole point but then also there's this idea uh and i remember gordon hinckley when he talked about his mission in the UK and writing to his father and basically he was depressed and his dad's like, forget about yourself and go to work. And (laughs) it's like this toxic idea of like, who, who cares how you feel? Who, who cares what you're going through? Forget about it. And Jesus said, do this. So the prophet said, do this. So you're going to do it. Yeah. Like we, that being said, like I served in a first world country. I served in England and I had companions who struggled with depression and they spoke with a church therapist on the phone once a week and it wasn't an issue. Um, we had some missionaries who, um, we didn't have anybody get robbed, but we had some missionaries who got into an altercation with some other teenage boys and beat them up. 
the missionaries ended up beating the, oh my the God. kids up. <laughs> um, but we, you know, that would become a, we'd have a, a discussion about how to navigate these kind of situations, how to avoid trouble, how to stay out of the wrong parts of town. We'd have area maps, you know, that highlighted areas that you should avoid and stuff like that. Um, but it sounds like in, in uh, like Argentina or a bit of a rougher country, it's like if they, if they highlighted every rough area on the area map, there would be no area to work in. That's a hundred percent what it's like. <laughs> right. Like there, there were no areas to avoid the whole areas of danger zone. And so I guess it's like if, if the church did kind of emphasize security and, uh, and well-being of the missionaries, they just wouldn't be able to do any work. Yep. That's um... that like, I'm not saying it excuses them from, from trying to teach the missionaries to be more streetwise yeah. um, or how to avoid these things. But it's just kind of, it's interesting because my, my mission culture is the exact opposite when it came to things like stress and depression. And it's because we were in a first world country. Well, and I think <laughs> yeah. mission president difference too, right? Yeah, like, that's true. Sounds, oh, yeah. sounds like your mission president and his wife just kind of sucked too. <laughs> You know, it was her solution, and it became a running joke in the mission. Her solution to any kind of illness was water and ibuprofen and get back out there. I was like, right. mm. yeah. <laughs> like, did you have a mission doctor? It was it was his wife and the president's wife, and she was not. I mean, you know, she was not. Uh, she 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 was just a housewife for the longest time, so right. she really had no experience in anything. Like, we right. had a doctor who was called to serve, um, I think, over all the British Isles missions. Mm -hmm. And so if you had an issue, you could just call him. Like, we had his phone number. They told us we were supposed to start with the mission president's wife. And then if yeah. it was a bigger issue, just gets escalated up to the, the mission doctor. But we had his phone number. Like, we could, I called him direct a couple times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you didn't have any – there was nothing like that in Argentina. No, no. For the longest time, it was it was just the president's wife and whatever she said went. Um, wow. When at some point we did eventually get a sister missionary come in, and it was so weird they could never call um, an actual doctor. Like we could never have a mission doctor, but there was money for that to be to be a, a, an actual thing. Yeah. But it got to the point where they, there was a sister missionary. I think she was getting her. She already got her bachelor's, I believe, in in the field of medicine. Mm -hmm. So. The president's wife was like, oh, so you must be well-versed. Well, guess what? You are now the mission doctor. Wow. <laughs> I was like, we were all like, cool. Well, I mean, she was very nervous. It was her first time. You yeah. Know, her her first um, calling, or sorry, calling her first role as a missionary was, you are now the doctor. Here wow. is a binder and deal with it. And 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 she wasn't even called to be the doctor. Like the her mission papers we're just like, you're going to go serve in Argentina. And then when she got there, they're like, oh, you know a little bit about this stuff? You're the doctor. Exactly. That's wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, I, the, it just shows yeah. that they're just not, <laughs> they're very, they just don't want to put the effort in. And I'm like, yeah. this doesn't make any sense. I mean, I mean, the Lord qualifies whom he calls. So, you know, like I... Yeah, she was ready. I don't, like, how do you justify that? That is wild. So now she's she's put in charge in, of all of that. So I can see how um, how this has started to affect your 
your testimony later on. I think now's probably a good time as we're running up on time um, to switch back to um, when your testimony starts to kind of fall apart, when that shelf starts cracking. Your wife asks you this question, you know, would anything make you leave the church? And you say nothing. She tells you that scares her. Um, totally justifiably. So I had a friend ask me a similar question that kind of snapped me out of it. What, what then was your thought process and the results from that? Yeah. <clears throat> so after that, it was kind of a, a slow decline kind of, or sorry, my, my shelves just started to crack here mm -hmm. and there. It, I just started to, uh, the ward here was, you know, a very, I guess they, they kind of took in a lot of, they had a lot of mixed a lot of politics with their, with the way they would teach. That's the goodness of being in the Midwest is that a lot of things are kind of, you know, influenced by their politics. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> it, it kind of got to the point where I was listening to this Bishop. He, I had my first interview with him and he would ask me very strange questions about my ethnicity like wanting to really know what I was because, you know, my parents are, are mixed. You know, my, my dad has, you know, he's like, he's like half black, half Pueblo. My mom is like Aztec with a little bit of Spanish. Hmm. And he asked me, so what are you? He's like, are you? It's like, well, you know, I'm, you know, my family's from Mexico and you know, my dad's a little bit of black and he was like really wanting to know like how black I was. Like if that was a thing, I'd never been asked that. Really? And he was just really wanting to know about my race. And I was, my wife was next to me. She was like, it's really uncomfortable. And he just wouldn't let it go. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is this is a little too much for me. Um, so after that, <clears throat> I I have this so I would always have this reoccurring nightmare, which is kind of what led me to how I found you guys. Um, it was this nightmare where I would get sent back out on my mission for another two transfers, and I would be absolutely miserable. And I was like, man, I'm sick of this having this nightmare. I always wake up in a cold sweat. And there was this one time where I remember it was where I had the exact same nightmare, but it was the first time that my wife was actually in this nightmare. And I remember it got to a point where I was, it was like the whole day we were missionaries and I was like, why are we out here? And it got to the end of the, the, the nightmare. And I remember telling her, like, we were both miserable in this, in the dream. And I told her, I, why are we out here? Why are we doing this? I told her, we just need to go. We, I think I said, we should go home. We need to leave. And I woke up and I felt like, like I needed to leave the church. Like my sanity was like depleting. And I looked it up. I went, I went on Reddit. I typed in ex Mormon and I kind of like, I was like, is anyone else having this nightmare? And people were like, oh my gosh, it's been like 50 years and I'm still having this nightmare. And they were like, yeah, they're like, really like it's like this, this you have rts which is like this religious trauma hmm. and i remember someone posted well, hey there's this podcast called like the xx mormon podcast and i was like i'll i'll listen to them and i listened to a few of y'all's episodes and it kind of gave me the push where i was like i guess i'm not the only one going through this um because i i didn't i had no i had never met anyone else who had left the church yeah and i remember i told my wife about my dream and I told her I'm ready. I'm ready to leave. And she was like, she told me it was like one of the happiest days of her life because then she felt comfortable to leave as well. So 
that just kind of became like us. That's kind of pretty much what happened. The pivotal moment that kind of made us both like yeah. leave, uh, go through Mark uh, Noggle to kind of go through the quitmormon.com mm-hmm. and do all that. So it was a, uh, it was a really incredible moment. I'm glad I, you know, had a nightmare for the first time because wow. it kind of helped me, you know, it helped us be where we're at right now. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it was, it's just been incredible. That, that, is incredible that you have this nightmare and that leads you to finding the ex-Mormons and realizing that you're not <laughs> alone in this experience and and in your kind of waking up to um I mean the falseness of the church. Our our call is gonna end here. So I think we should probably do uh, a part two of your story so that we can get a little bit more uh more details of like coming out of the church and then working to move past it and make a life after Mormonism. Cause I, I think that's something that we like to talk about on here. Um, so yeah, I'd love to. yeah, I guess, I guess we'll, uh, we'll see everybody in, in part two. And, and with that, we'll just say these things in the name of Mahan Rai Moriankumar. Uh, amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. <laughs>